Disney filled out its plan to get its direct-to-consumer services to Netflix scale and its fiscal Q4 2023 earnings call. It will continue to cut content, combine Hulu and Disney Plus and launch ESPN Digital. This is Endscreen Noise. My name is Colin Dixon, founder and chief analyst at Endscreen Media. And today is November 9th. 2023. Streaming industry veteran Jason Keeler encapsulated the challenge Hollywood faces with its direct-to-consumer efforts. Here's what he said in a Variety article a couple of weeks ago. The big question confronting and confounding the industry is how can companies not named Netflix generate attractive cash flows from streaming? Mr. Keelar laid out the two options for Hollywood to achieve Netflix scale. He said broadcasters needed to either combine to create a product capable of doing it or take a back seat and license content to another service and help it get to scale. Well, Disney gave us more details about what it's planning to do and it is definitely not taking the license route. In a quarter that saw Disney's core U.S. direct-to-consumer services effectively tread water, the company's CEO, Bob Iger, laid out its strategy to get to that desired Netflix scale and cash flow position. But before we get to that, the next TVOT Connect on November 16th at 11 a.m. Pacific is a must-attend event if you want to understand how to close the streaming TV profitability gap without viewer pain. As for providers like Disney, are raising prices and cutting content in a bid to make their D2C services profitable. However, investing in search and discovery can boost engagement and cut churn from record levels. It can also boost engagement by as much as 30%, a huge revenue boost for ad-supported services like Disney's entry-level tier. And actually, Disney revealed that it has 5.2 million people on that entry-level ad-supported tier already and gained actually 2 million in just the last quarter. Now, Joining me on November the 16th will be Chris Ambrosic, VP and GM of Discovery at TiVo. And he'll be with Tracy and I for another in my Follow the Money series, where we look at how money is transferring from traditional media to new streamed media. We'll discuss how to make search and discovery work harder for streaming TV services. And you'll have an opportunity to be seen, network and participate in this live only event. That's right, no on-demand access to this event will be provided. So if you want to attend, why don't you point your browser at itvt.com forward slash tvot forward slash connect and sign up. That's itvt.com forward slash tvot forward slash connect. And I'll include a link with the posting of this podcast on my website. Now, back to the podcast. So one of the principal ways that Disney has decided it's going to narrow its losses and get to positive cash flow is by simply spending less on content. As I said in the TVOT Connect promo, 
Disney is intent on doing this and also raising prices. So I just got a new another price increase in my Disney Plus subscription. And I'm sure you did too, unless you're on that ad tier where you didn't get any price increase at all. And the company's new CFO, who is Hugh F. Johnston, told us during the fiscal Q4 earnings call today, that's I'm recording this on Wednesday evening, exactly how much the company plans to spend on content. He said, as a result of our continued work to be more efficient in our content spend, in addition to the impact of the strikes and the timing of sports payments, we expect total content spend in fiscal 2024 to be approximately $25 billion which is a decrease of $2 billion versus 2023. Now, he gave us some detail on that. He said that 40% of the $25 billion goes to sports. But he also said that the target reduction in content spending isn't $2 billion. It's not even $3 billion, which is what they said before. It is $4.5 billion. In other words, the company thinks that a sustainable le- level of spending for that content is $22 billion a year. So what that means is since 40% goes on sports, they will be spending $13 billion on content for Disney Plus and Hulu. Now, for context, Netflix said in its last earnings call a couple of weeks ago that it anticipates a base spend of $17 billion four billion more a year with inflationary increases going forward. So Disney is spending substantially less than Netflix. So it's not going to complete compete with Netflix on quantity. So how are they going to succeed? How are they going to create the content they need to get to Netflix scale? Well the studios are a key value driver throughout businesses' business, including its D2C businesses. And here again, Mr. Iger plans to actually cut production and cut spending there. He says, we are focusing heavily on the core brands and franchises that fuel all of our businesses and reducing output overall to enable us to concentrate on fewer projects and improve quality while continuing our effort around the creation of fresh an original IP. With Disney, with Disney then, it's all about quality, not quantity. And that must help Hulu and Disney Plus reach Netflix scale. In other words, make fewer movies like Ant-Man and Wasp into the quantum verse and more like Elemental. So that's their strategy with content. Spend less and make better content. But that's not the only thing they're doing. It's pretty clear that the Disney Plus model, which is really a pretty thin but quality curated library, has topped out. It's grown as much as it can, I think, in the US market. It's just below 50 million subscribers in the US and Canada. In fact, it's been hovering at around 46.5 million for the last five quarters. And that's, in fact, where it ended up in the last in the quarter just ended 46.5 million and the truth is that hulu also seems to have reached a plateau and its plateau slightly lower 44 million domestic subscribers so how can 
Disney continue to grow them? Well, the company is on a slow path to combining the two services. It's launched a combined a combined product beta, and at some point in 2024, the product will go into general release. So it really is cr- planning on creating a combined product of Disney Plus and Hulu. Although at the moment, certainly it's maintaining those problem products as also separate. How would that compare with what Netflix has? Well, the current pricing, I think, is competitive with Netflix. The Disney Duo, which is Hulu and Disney Plus with ads, costs $9.99 a month. And without ads, it's $19.99 a month. Now, Netflix costs $7.99 with ads and $15.50 a month with them. And by the way, Hulu without ads now costs $17.99 a month. So it really is pretty much a slam dunk that that if you've got Hulu without ads, you're probably going to add Disney Plus without ads because it's only two bucks more. Uh, And those prices will not be increasing. Uh, Disney is increasing, has just increased the price of no ads versions of Disney Plus and Hulu. So that's a key strategy. They want to bring both Hulu and Disney Plus together. Uh, And in fact, one of the reasons why they gave that they're doing that in beta right now for a combined product is that they wanted to give parents a chance to set up their blocking so that their children protected from some of the stronger content that they're going to get exposed to if they're allowed to watch what's currently available on Hulu. And uh, Mr. Iger is really bullish on the opportunity for a fully combined product. Here's what he said. We expect that Hulu on Disney Plus will result in an increased engagement, greater advertising opportunities, lower churn, and reduced customer acquisition costs, thereby increasing our overall margins. So can Disney Plus and Hulu together get to Netflix scale? Well, I got to tell you, it really all hangs on that content, right? Hulu has already recently lost NBCU's first run TV shows and may lose the rest of the NBCU content when the sale of Comcast's share of Hulu back to Disney completes. And uh, they've agreed and it's going to happen. It just hasn't. The money hasn't changed hands yet. Disney Plus is relying on those tentpole movies. So with quantity decreasing, the quality had better increase dramatically if the duo is to reach Netflix scale and attain those interesting cash flows. It's absolutely going to be critical that they have at least several series a month coming in there that people are going to want to stay subscribed to. Now, what about ESPN? Well, it really wasn't clear from the earnings call how ESPN and ESPN Plus fit into the overall D2C strategy yet. So certainly in the earnings call, all eyes were fixed on ESPN Digital. There were lots of questions about that. And when it would launch, and there hasn't been this firm date given for that either, Uh, For one thing, Mr. Iger said that the company is looking for technology, marketing and distribution partners to help it be successful. 
He's bullish about the opportunity for the channel as the trend of cord cutting continues. Here's what he had to say. This is a way to buck that trend, that is cord cutting, continue to allow it to be part of the multi-channel bundle, but also make it available on an a la carte basis. Basically taking a very popular product, in fact, and make it available and add and possibly strengthen it by doing what I described earlier, that is pulling in partners. And he highlighted the opportunity he thinks the service has with young viewers by trumpeting the brand's success in social media. He said ESPN is the number one brand on TikTok and claims that it has 44 million TikTok followers. But I'm really not sure how that really speaks to the opportunity for ESPN with those TikTok followers. Let's be honest, the 44 million followers on TikTok, what are they doing? They're actually watching 60 second snippets from ESPN and they are not paying anything for it. Well, they may be watching an ad, which of course TikTok benefits from, not, not Disney. So they really aren't going to subscribe to ESPN Digital. They're probably not a strong target audience for ESPN at all. After all, young people really aren't engaging with premium sports that much these days. You know, they're really much more focused on shorter, more impactful content. Again, everything depends on what sports ESPN Digital is able to bring and how much it will cost as to whether all of us cord cutters are going to want it and are going to willing to subscribe to it. So we might look to ESPN Plus to try and give us a hint at how successful ESPN could be. Well, on the face of it, it looks like ESPN is doing all right. It costs $9.99 a month with a collection of pretty sub-premium sports. There's a real mishmash up there of tennis and golf and soccer and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I guess on the face of it, that bodes well for ESPN digital success. I mean, ESPN has, what, 26 million subscribers and it's charging $9.99 a month for a bunch of sub-premium sports, right? But here's the thing. I suspect that most of the 26 million subscribers didn't pay $9.99 a month. They got it as part of the Disney Triple Play bundle. It was very, very attractive. The bundle price was very, very attractive. If you wanted any two of the products, you absolutely are going to take the Triple Play bundle because it was cheaper than the two services and you got another service for free in effect. So I think a lot of people were coming in through that bundle. And the reason I say that is because although ESPN Plus costs $9.99 a month, ESPN Plus average revenue per user or per subscriber, nominal subscriber, is just $5.34 a month, about half of that. So what that tells me is that a lot of subscribers to supposed subscribers to ESPN Plus actually got it as part, uh, as part of the triple play. And uh, I doubt that most people would subscribe separately. I mean, 
These are a bunch of sub-premium sports. In my case, for example, I, you know I'm a big soccer fan, a big Premier League fan. Well, I'm interested in the FA Cup games, which ESPN Plus has. But to be honest, I'm not interested enough to pay $9.99 a month. And in fact, I'm really only interested in those games in the last couple of months of the competition when the really bigger teams get involved. In fact, maybe the only people who are paying full freight for ESPN Plus are those wanting to watch UFC pay-per-view matches. Remember, ESPN Plus did a deal with UFC where they would manage the UFC pay-per-view event delivery to consumers and all the payments, but people had to be an ESPN Plus subscriber first. So... UFC, to watch UFC pay-per-view events, you have to pay that $9.99 and then go ahead and pay for the event. So I, I suspect maybe they're the only people who are actually paying full freight and probably many of them also have got the bundle. So it's really not clear how ESPN Digital and ESPN Plus fit into Disney's overall D2C plans. And in fact, figuring out how much ESPN Digital will be is kind of scary. I mean, after all, Disney wants to recoup the $9 billion it says it's spending on sports rights, right? So the price for ESPN Digital is liable to be a lot more than ESPN+. Now, using some data that Disney released about a month ago about ESPN, I was able to calculate roughly how much pay TV, traditional pay TV subscribers are spending on ESPN or are forced to pay. And every subscriber is basically contributing $11 explicitly for ESPN properties. That means that they must, they are going to need a lot more people to subscribe to ESPN Digital than currently subscribe to ESPN Plus. And they're also going to need to charge a lot more maybe twice as much, maybe even more than that. And if that's the case, that alone will give many people, even those who are very interested in sports, a lot of pause to think before they subscribe to the service. So Disney's plans are to cut the amount of content but make more quality content and combine Hulu and Disney Plus in the US market to attract more subscribers and lift its its scale and the revenue that it produces to Netflix levels. And quite how ESPN fits into that is not clear, but all, what is clear is that the company recognizes that ESPN on traditional pay TV is on a long decline. And so they have to do something if they want to maintain that as a brand within the Disney family. So if you would like a rough transcript of this podcast, stop by the Endscreen Media website and look under the analysis tab and you'll find it right there under Endscreen Noise. And while you're there, if you haven't done it already, sign up for that newsletter. It's free and you'll know when this podcast posts first. This has been Colin Dixon and I'll speak with you again next time. This podcast is the property of Endscreen Media, all rights reserved.